Um, before we jump into our new series this morning, allow me just to say a personal thank you. Um, thank you for how, over the last number of months, you have been ministering to me and my family. Um, most of you know that I've been away for many, many, many Sundays. As, as a matter of fact, this was the first time in, well, my life. Um, and I'm, my wife tells me I'm almost half a century old. I don't believe her, but I just, you know, that's what she tells me. And she's, you know, pretty good at math when it comes to remembering birthdays. But um, I have never taken four Sundays off in a row. It was just two weeks off in particular uh, that uh, I was uh, able to take. But it was three Sundays in a row. It, it started off, the, the first Sunday was actually a gift from you. Uh, a gift that the church gave me and my family a, sun, a weekend off to be refreshed and recharged uh, after finishing my doctoral dissertation. And so that was a gift that you gave me, uh, and then two weeks of vacation following that, and then I came back to work for a few days in the office, but then we had one more Sunday off as a gift uh, from our governing board, and I am so, so thankful for that. Because you know how it is with vacations, right? You get one week off and you really don't unplug from the things that you're thinking about with work. Now you get two weeks off and it starts to feel like, okay, I, I feel a little bit more, but then you still come back and there's more emails than days in the week than you get to actually process through and, and get covered. Like It seems like you worked as hard as you could so that everything would be covered and you worked to get ahead by the time you came back, and when you came back, you're three weeks behind. Does that make sense? No, but that's the way it is. That's how we feel. And to have a fourth Sunday, really, that gave us really a great chance to process. But having said that, I am... Um, and my wife would also tell me that uh, I like to make sure that things are excellent, uh, which is just translated, I'm a control freak. <laughs> and I like to be able to make sure that this is done and this is done. And, you know, is there, is there this, you know, make sure that this is done. And we go through walkthroughs every Sunday where the whole team's going, yes, we know what happens. This is what we do every Sunday. And I'm like, no, we have to look at every detail and talk about things. I just love to do that. It's Simply put, it's not easy for me to be away. And it was especially not easy for me to be away on that very first Sunday when we gave a financial update. If you weren't here, the financial update was simply this. That in church life, the way that North American churches are organized, there tends to be three different categories or buckets, I guess, of where your ministry dollars go. The one is facility, uh, ground, buildings and grounds, we call it. And that just pays for the building, heat, it pay, which we don't need today, thankfully. Uh, but it pays for water, it pays for hydro, uh, all of those things that allow us to meet uh, each and every week. So that's one thing that it goes to. The second is staff. And the third is ministry. So curriculum for kids and for youth and small groups, outreach event, advertising, concerts, all of those things uh, that we do in order to help people become aware of our church 
attend our church in some way, either uh, in person or online, and then to engage our church in some way, whether that's through giving, serving, getting into a group, inviting others. Uh, We'd love to see that happen. And the update that we gave a number of Sundays ago was simply this. Our income has consistently been that we can only fund two out of those three buckets. That's where we are. We shared what's happening. And that was really hard for me to be away from that because I wanted to be here to answer questions, to be part of that process. That's sort of the the job of the senior leader is to, you know, the, the buck stops here, so to speak. And when I can't, whew, had to struggle with those feelings of abandonment that but I can't answer any questions and how are people taking it I wanted to phone I wanted to ask and I had to really be careful not to check emails over the last number of weeks but I'm proud of how things went because when I got back and I started to talk to uh, some of the people in the church, I had some, just some brief conversations. How did it go? What did you think? Oh, we needed to hear that. Oh, that's so helpful. And we're going to start to pray or, or we're going to start to encourage others. We're going to start to tell our story of what God has done through giving. I was so encouraged by what I heard. I was proud of our leadership team for how they stepped up for our governing board, for all of our elders and our deacons and our deaconesses and our treasurer, for really taking charge and running the church while I was gone. And I was excited for how our volunteers handled all of our tech issues that we had while I was gone, because that's a pastoral nightmare too. I tend to be the one who kind of, uh, if, if you remember the character from the 80s or 90s TV show, MacGyver, that's how we do most of our technology here is with a little bit of baler twine and some duct tape and, you know, prayer. And we ask for, please let it all work. Um, and I think every volunteer with the last name Divizia was involved in making sure that there was some tech things that got solved. And so we're super, thank- I am super, super thankful for the way they handled that. When I came back to the office, I discovered that the very first Sunday I would be back, there'd be food. And it wasn't because, hey, Pastor Brian's back. Let's have a big meal to celebrate. It's no, the ladies gathered together and said, let's have uh, a lunch together. And hey, let's invite the whole church to join us. And so, again, my apologies to those who are joining us online or watching the recording or listening to the podcast later. In faith, I will just say that the food was delicious. And you missed it. Anyways, did I mention that it's good to be live in person, right? Amen? So, I am so thrilled for our ladies group saying, no, we need to keep building relationships. And we don't just want that to happen among the ladies. People stepped up and started to own ministry. And didn't need to check with me to say, can we do this? I am so proud of our church. You have no idea how hard it is for me to walk away and not think about what's happening at home, what's happening in the church, what's happening with with church families, what's happening in their lives. And to realize that things are in not just good hands, but great hands is really helpful. Now, I don't want to sugarcoat anything. Our church is in a very, very difficult season right now. 
We're not only struggling with finances, we're struggling with finding volunteers that will lean into outreach events because it's a lot for not very much pay. Zero. And it's a lot of organizing, execution, volunteer, development, recruitment, and so on. It's very, very difficult to do that. And we don't have the money to fund it. My hunch is that we're not the only church that's struggling financially. Actually, I bet we're maybe not even, as individuals, thinking about how much month is left at the end of the money. Maybe you are struggling financial as well. I think over the last few years, the amount of stress an amount of, of, of personal pressure that individuals and families are feeling uh, has risen astronomically. As a matter of fact, I was just reading this morning uh, online in the rise of prescription medications for mental health that has happened between 2018 to 2022, uh, especially in the high school demographic. The pressures of life can be very, very difficult. So you come to church, you're expecting to get some kind of relief and, and help and prayer, and then the pastor comes up and says, oh, by the way, we're feeling all of these pressures too. And you're like, well, that's great. I was looking for relief. I wasn't looking for more misery loves company. Uh, I was looking for something different. Um, Challenges of today can actually make you feel like there's very few options, that there's not a way forward. But the Bible says otherwise, and the God of the Bible says otherwise. Welcome to thrive. This is a desire for us as a church to move beyond we're just simply existing to moving to a place where we are thriving no matter what we're facing in our circumstances. And we have a God who is capable of doing that. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks together looking at someone who has gone before us. Looking at a church that I think has paved the way for those individuals, families, and churches who feel like they're under enormous pressure. I think we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at a church that, well, honestly, looks like we're looking in the mirror. These people look a lot like us, and in the middle of what they were facing, they learned how to thrive, and they learned how to do it in, I think, the worst possible circumstances, and that is persecution for their faith. I think that where our church is now and where you are now, it is possible to thrive. So with all that being said, let me jump in and introduce this church to you by turning in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, starting in the first verse. 
So grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to put the verses up on the screen for you so you can follow along. I'd really encourage you that if you have an app or a phone and, and don't have the app yet, is to download a Bible app so that you can highlight things and make notes. If you have a Bible, you can write in things. You can certainly bring notebooks and write things down, uh, but we'd love to have you write down whatever it is that God says to you. We'd love to hear that feedback back from you where God is leading you so that we can support you and pray for you in that. Let's grab our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. It says this, Paul and Timothy, the writers of the letter, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Already they're organized. They have leadership. This is incredible. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with, what's the word? What's the word? Try again. What's the word? It's joy. I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul starts off this great letter to this church saying, I want you to know I love you guys. And he's not just trying to butter them up and make them feel better. He's not giving them the compliment sandwich or the criticism sandwich. You may have heard it in uh, work terms where you start off with, hey, let me give you some compliments and then we're going to talk about the criticism piece. That's the meat of the sandwich. Then I'm going to come in with a compliment at the end. He genuinely feels this way about this church. And Paul doesn't start every letter like this. He has a deep personal connection to this church. Why? Because of the way that they served God with him. Because of the way that they were standing firm in the middle of everything that they were facing. We don't have time. I'd love to do this, but we, we just simply don't have time. But when Paul first met this church, was coincidental. God actually had to intervene in order for Paul to start this church, and that seems odd, but Paul had different plans. You see, he was intending to go to another area of the world, but Scripture says at the beginning of Acts 16 that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow Paul to follow through on his plans. And one night, Paul had a dream where a a man who was clearly Macedonian came to him and said, you've got to come and tell us the good news. And he woke up, he was very excited, and he told all of his his, his, uh, fellow co-workers, hey, listen, we're going to Macedonia. And they ended up in a place called Philippi. And he starts his usual strategy. He starts looking around for places where people will worship. He doesn't find any, so he says, I'm going to go down to the river where people might be praying you know, privately, they might be praying uh, away from some of the pagan temples that existed. And so he made the move. 
And he just so happened to meet someone that believed in God, the Hebrew God, the God of the Old Testament. And Paul started to explain the gospel. She was saved, her and her household, and immediately ministry started. They continued to meet at a place of prayer on a regular basis. But there was this problem because there was this girl, a, a slave girl, who was being exploited by her owners to tell the future. That sounds odd because who, you know, I make predictions all the time, especially about sports, and I'm hardly ever right. But this girl got it right because she was possessed. And she was in slavery being exploited. She would follow Paul and the others around proclaiming, Hey, these people can tell you the way to God. Hey, these people can tell you the way to the Most High God. Which wasn't Paul's desire for ministry. He wanted to do that, but he didn't want it to do it in that way. They were, people were just kind of like, okay, this is just weird. And backing off, he was losing ministry opportunity. So out of a moment of complete frustration, he turns around and exercises the demon in Jesus' name. Well, the slave owners got a little mad, and so they started uh, sort of mob justice. And they started to say that, hey, this man, he's, he's teaching about false gods, not about our, our gods, not about uh, our emperor, and so we have to do something. And the mob hauled them in front of the magistrates who had them arrested, severely flogged, the, test, the text says, and then thrown into prison. Now, if you grew up in kids' church or Sunday school, you may know the rest of the story. They were in prison, in chains, and they were singing hymns, and all of a sudden, there's a massive earthquake. So massive that all of the jail cell doors open. The locks are jimmied from the shaking of the earthquake. The doors to the prison are open. They can leave if they want to. Well, the jailer at that time thinks, well, my job's done. I'm going to be executed for failing to follow through on my duty. So he decides I'm going to beat them to the punch and he's going to kill himself before he's made an example of. And he, just as he grabs his sword, Paul yells out, don't, don't kill yourself, we're all here, we're all okay. And the Philippian jailer does something really amazing. He comes to Paul and he says, what must I do to be saved? So we don't get all of the details, but somewhere this man is clearly thinking about the Lord and is clearly thinking about the messages that Paul is saying and then puts two and two together. We're not real clear from the text, but he moves very quickly from, I just got saved from killing myself to, I need to be saved. And he wants to listen to Paul's message. And so Paul tells him, and the Philippian jailer and his whole family are baptized. And there's even a little bit of uh, justice. Because as the jailer lets them free and the magistrate basically says, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? Then the magistrates get told the story of the Philippian jailer and Paul and Silas can say, and by the way, you did this to Roman citizens. You didn't even give us a trial. And at that point, they have to eat some real humble pie when they discover that they arrested and beat and threw in jail Roman citizens. 
So they simply say, listen, this is such an embarrassment to us. Would you please be willing to leave town and we'll never talk about this again? Unfortunately, Luke wrote it all down in the book of Acts. But otherwise, they're not going to talk about this again. And those Philippians, after Paul and Silas left, continued to grow and develop. Did you notice in the greeting that there were overseers and deacons? They had developed to a point where there were men and women who were ready to instruct and disciple others in this small little city. And that's amazing to me. And Paul is so excited that they've continued to stick with him even when he's been in prison. They've continued to help him even though it would have been a stigma for them to help him when he was in prison. They would have been associated with him. And they said, you know what? If that's the case, then we're ready. We're ready to associate with him because we're not backing down. This is who we believe. We believe Paul is right because we have personally met Jesus and so they would send gifts to him in prison as we'll discover a little bit later in this book, in this letter that Paul wrote. Paul stuck with them. Paul stuck with them in thick and thin and they followed Paul's example by doing the same. And even if he's out proclaiming the gospel or the only gospel that he can proclaim is that he's trapped in chains and can do no real ministry that he would call ministry he would say you're willing to help me in that too you're not ashamed of that you're not pulling away from me when it looks like I'm in trouble so thank you for doing that he loved this church and wanted the best for them I think what Paul is doing is the same way we feel about our kids Um, sometimes you just want to you know, gently grab your kid a little bit and give them a little bit of a shake and say, why do you do the things that you do? You know, you begin that repetition that parents do when it's a moment of discipline. Worse, your kids are adults. And they've made decisions that you know are wrecking their lives. You know they're headed in a bad direction and you've counseled them, you've prayed for them and they continue to walk that path. At any point do you say, well, you know what? Forget you. I want you to suffer. You deserve it. I don't know of a parent that thinks that. What I have seen is that every parent, no matter what their child goes through, still wants the best for them and would do anything for them. That's how Paul feels towards this church, like a parent would feel towards their children. I think Paul would say that this is a great church. Now, it's not easy for them because they still have to deal with the fact that they're not worshiping the emperor. They're not worshiping at the pagan temples. They're not worshiping at any of the celebrations. They're not worshiping. They're not participating. So it looks like they're saying, listen, we're better than you. That's the way it gets interpreted. We're holier than thou. And so if that's the way you're going to act, if you're not going to participate with us, if you're not going to be at our level, then we're not going to welcome you. That's how society was starting to treat them. They were losing their jobs because of their faith. They were losing their societal connections. Family 
was telling them, if that's who you are going to follow, then you cannot be part of our family because you do not respect us as a family. And yet they continue to move forward in spite of that. That's the story of the church that Paul was writing to. And he was praying for them. And he was praying specifically that they would move forward. How could they do that? What are the keys that this young church needs to have, this great church needs to have in order to continue to move forward? And coincidentally, what does our church need to have in order to move forward? Well, I'll tell you what it can't be. It can't be an awesome band. It can't be air conditioning. It can't be a number of the things that we just automatically say, here are the things that we have to have in order to be a great church. Because in order to be a great church, it has to exist at every time the church has ever existed. So there's something else that Paul says is critical for them to continue to move forward. And there's something else that we need as a church in order to continue to move forward. Or maybe start moving forward in the right direction. And personally, these are the things that we need to personally choose in order to move forward. Because he prays two specific things. The first thing he prays is in 1 Philippians 1.9. This is my prayer. That you will escape everything that is hounding you. That you will be safe. That no one would ever persecute you again. Is that what it says? No. No, it says... This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And what Paul says in just these short few words is simply this, is that great churches move forward if they continue to nurture an intimate relationship with the Lord. Their love grows and that means that our church will continue to move forward if we focus on developing a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. And that means personally, we as individuals move forward when we focus on not escaping what we are facing, even if it's hard but focus on nurturing a close relationship with the Lord Jesus. Paul wanted them to grow, but he wanted them to grow in a specific way. Not just having more people in Philippi come to know Jesus, but to have the people who knew God to love God more deeply and to love Him more than they did the day before and the day before that and the day before that and so on, and so on, and so on. He wants the church to build an intimate relationship with him. And he says, to do that, you have to grow in your knowledge of God, his character, his works, his desires, what God wants. But then also to experience that love in a deep, intimate way that's personal to you 
And that can be challenging for some, but let me explain it. Uh, Kelly Needham said recently uh, in relationship to building closeness to the Lord, growing closer to Him, loving Him deeply uh, each and every day, um, to just think of your salvation as, my sins are forgiven and now I can move on. It's like going to the closing of your house that you just bought, getting the keys in your hand and saying, look everyone, I'm a homeowner, and then going back to your apartment and never moving in. I mean, you have the paperwork and you have the key that proves that you're a homeowner. But that's not the essence of being a homeowner. The essence of being a homeowner is to move into the house and enjoy everything the house has to offer you and your family. And so to think of salvation as God has removed my sin and that's it. And not to go into a deep relationship with him and know him personally is to just waste the reason you were given the forgiveness in the first place. Church, let's go deep. Let's move into or move back into a deep personal relationship with the Lord. Make time to do that. I know summer's halfway over, but don't listen to those back-to-school ads for just a minute. You've got August, and each and every day after that to intentionally change your calendar that intentionally builds a closer relationship with the Lord who wants you to know Him personally, not just know about him abstractly, not to see him work in other people's lives, but so that you get to see him work in your life. That's his deepest desire for you. Forgiveness is just the start. If you need to get up earlier, you have my permission, get up earlier. If you need a wake-up call, my wife would be happy to call you at whatever time of day you need. No, she's shaking her head. No, you need to make this choice for yourself. You see, the argument is, well, I'm already so busy and it's really hard to find time for God in my schedule. Here's the thing about time. Every person has the same amount of time in a day, correct? Every person has how many hours? 24. Good, we're we're still clear on that. Is that true for people in the United States uh, on on the West Coast? Yes. Is that true for Canadians up in Newfoundland? Yes. Is that true for Taiwanese people across the globe? Do they get 24 hours? Yes or no? Yes. Everyone has the same amount of time during the day. The challenge is, what will you prioritize in your day? Go deep. Move back into the house where the Lord is. And build that relationship and take personal ownership of that responsibility. Don't just assume that five minutes in the daily bread and you're good to go. If I just spent five minutes with my family each and every day, would they think I loved them deeply? No. Spend significant time and make it a priority to do so. Let's face it. This church was facing enormous persecution. The options that it had were limited, and yet they found time to grow a deep personal relationship with the Lord. We can do the same.
our church, we as individuals will move forward to where God wants us to be if we continue to nurture our love for the Lord. And that deep relationship has a ripple effect on how you navigate the daily things you face in life. It'll have a ripple effect on the direction of your life. And if we do this together, it has a ripple effect of momentum that drives our church forward. We see this in the next few verses. This is my prayer. You want these things, you want to have this love so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Our church will move forward. We will move forward as Christians if we continue to pursue holiness, right living before God. You see, the relationship that we have with God, He will reveal to us what the best options are, how to live as Christ would live if He was facing that same decision. And our deep relationship with the Lord will help us know how do we live in a world that is changing almost daily and moving away from God in our culture. So that the benefit is When Jesus Christ returns, we are ready. We move forward and we are ready when we continue to pursue holy lives. Christians, you know this. You know that a day is coming when Jesus will return and every life will be laid bare before him. He will judge the living and the dead and he will evaluate our lives by how we lived. And the challenge for us as Christians is not to assume that we will automatically just show up and drift into eternity and everything's going to be okay. The warnings through Scripture, we had a short little mini-series before we went on vacation called Where Are You Headed? Where we talked about how Jesus says that the, the road to Him, the road to life is narrow. The gate is small. It is difficult to walk this path. It is difficult to commit to this path in the first place. And few people find it. He would warn in other places that there are sheep people and there are goats people. And everyone thinks they're a sheep. Everyone thinks they're a follower of Jesus. But they will be divided in that last day when Christ returns. And the people who are the goats people, the people who weren't followers, would say, but Lord, look at all the things that we did. When is it that we missed ministry? And he will say, depart from me. Be gone from me. I never knew you. So there is that day coming, and if you want to be ready for that day, pursue holiness because of what God is showing you in your relationship with Him. As you choose to foster, develop that intimate, close relationship with the Lord, He shows you what it means to live in the situation that you're living. I chose pursue as specifically as I could and I want to help you understand why I chose that word 
why you need to pursue holiness. Uh, when you want the best for something, that becomes a pursuit. It's not just something that, you know, it, it's good enough, and so we'll kind of let that slide. It becomes a, an, a deep priority to you. It, it describes intentionality. It describes priority. For example, a, a police officer, if uh, they're pursuing a subject, they're giving all of their attention to that person. If they're in hot pursuit of an individual or a suspect, what are they doing? They're setting everything else aside, sometimes even public safety, in order to make sure that that person they're pursuing doesn't harm anyone else. That's what pursuit is. And what's the opposite of pursuit? It's retreat. It's surrender. And it's also passivity. In other words, you don't just drift into holiness. You don't just drift into the right decisions that God wants you to make. The Bible is full of stories of holiness versus hypocrisy. And in every culture, as culture changes, sometimes the best way to love God shifts over time. And sometimes we can get so caught up in the way that we're pursuing, and this is what it has to look like, that that's the only way that that can happen. And that's not how it works. See, I don't think we always know how to live holy lives. I don't think we always know what's the way forward. I was talking with a group of Christian friends over... Um, uh, over our vacation and um, I asked a tough theological question. And I got 50-50 answers on that question. Would you like to know what that question was? The question was, if you were invited as a Christian to a wedding where the couple was the same gender, it's a same-sex wedding, would you go? And the answer is immediately, no. That was one person's answer. And another one just as forcefully said, yes, and here's why. And both of them were completely correct theological answers according to how God had been leading them. It was powerful. And it was neat to see this group of Christians really wrestling with not just abstract things, but concrete things and seeking the Lord in wisdom in this. Lord, what's the direction? We don't know which way to go. And they came to completely different ways of answering it. But both of them started this question. What's the loving thing to do? And that was super encouraging to me to hear that. That was amazing to hear that that conversation. My point is, we don't always know how to live holy lives. And so we need help. And the help comes from a close, intimate relationship with the Lord. Because there's a way to do the right thing with the wrong reason that the Lord despises. Because it pushes people away from Him rather than drawing them close to Him. That's the difference between hypocritical living 
and holy living. So our church, we, you, will move forward no matter what you are facing. If you build and draw closer to the Lord in an intimate relationship, and you will move forward, we will move forward, our church will move forward if we continue to pursue holiness together. Friends, I don't know everyone's story. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know where you are at in life. I know where we are at in life as a church, and I know the challenges that we faced. And I know what was happening at the church in Philippi. They were facing harder things than we ever have. But they were thriving. And that gives me hope. And that should give you hope because that means you can do the same. Let's look to their example and what they were told what it means to thrive. Let's nurture our love for the Lord. Let's pursue holiness with purpose. And let's do it together. Onward and upward. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who loves us so deeply. And would you help us to love you in the same way? We need your help. We need your spirit to do this. Lord, each and every one of us has faced or is facing difficult circumstances in our lives. They may be health circumstances. They may be relational circumstances. They may be financial circumstances. They may be emotional circumstances. It may be just with the ability to live for you that may be being hampered by the environment in which we are. Or maybe we just don't know which way to go. What's the best choice in order to live out what it means to love you deeply? But we long to do that. And we long to live holy lives, to be found ready, to be found faithful when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. So would you help us to move forward by continuing to draw close to you? If we need to adjust our schedule, I ask, Father, that you would give each and every one of us wisdom to do that. And would you help us to move forward by continuing to pursue holiness with intentionality to know what is the loving thing to do in every situation to seek you so that we have the best decisions in order to be the people that you've called us to be that you would make our way clear because we are close father help us to move onward and upward we pray this in your son's name amen